Um, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. First, let me say I greatly appreciate the opportunity um, to come here and speak uh, on this topic today. Um, I'm, I'm talking on also on behalf of my long-term partner in crime, Peter Jones. So the outline of what I want to say, um, I'll talk just a very little bit about the African agricultural development context. Then I'll summarise something about um, what we currently know about the impacts of climate change on agriculture in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and then some analyses that we've done very recently on looking at um, five degrees increase on, on growing seasons and crop yields in a, in a part of Africa. And then what's the outlook and, and what needs to be done. In terms of the, the African agricultural development context, all this will be familiar. Um, population, depending on, um, on the projections, but population is likely to increase from something like something over 0.8 billion now to perhaps 1.8 billion in 2050. At the same time, income per capita is in fact growing slowly in some parts of Africa, but not in all. Population is urbanizing quite rapidly in some countries. In Africa, um, it's up to over 40% now. And globally, of course, it's um, more than half the population of the planet is now living in urban areas. And of course, this is going to have huge impacts on food demand into the future. Um, estimates from FAO and IFPRI are that livestock product consumption in Africa will be up from 200 kilocalories per person per day in 2000, and that will nearly double to 400. And cereal demand will more than double in some places. It will treble to 2050 because of increasing populations and also because of increasing incomes have all kinds of impacts on food consumption patterns. At the same time, the prognosis for agriculture in Africa, even currently, is, is rather mixed. Here, in, this shows South Asia, the situation for South Asia, basically cereal yields tons per hectare, and then poverty incidence on the right-hand scale. And for South Asia, you, you can see, this is not to suggest that there's direct relationship, but yields have been increasing since the 1980s, and poverty has also been coming down. But for sub-Saharan Africa, it's the, same, it's the same plot, but you can see that poverty is um, not much impact on poverty, and in fact yields per hectare have pretty much stagnated. And one reason, or perhaps the major reason why, why climate change is so important to to many of the countries in sub-Saharan Africa. This shows, I, I like this graph a lot, um, in the orange, it's the rainfall variation around the mean from the, the early 1980s through to the end of the century. And then the, the lines and the dots plots GDP growth. And you can see that there's a, a really quite a strong tracking of what happens to GDP in relation to what happens to rainfall variability. And you could plot very similar kinds of graphs for many countries that are predominantly agricultural-based. 
So the basic question is, given all these drivers and, and trends of change, can it all be held together into the future, which is perhaps the, one of the key development um, issues of the age. This is some, some somewhat old data, but the, the idea is the same. Food production has been increasing. That's total food production. Food production per capita is sort of tracking along, just about keeping, keeping pace. Food prices, the odd spike in the 70s. And, of course, if this graph was continued, we'd see another spike. But actually, it turns out to have been, for the time being anyway, also just a spike. And then, if you look at the undernourished developing, there's been progress made. But in recent times, this is starting to creep up again. So, is it possible to keep the whole development thing together? What do we know about the impacts of climate change on agriculture in sub-Saharan Africa? There have been actually many studies done fairly recently, um, well, some going back even to the mid-1990s when um, the, the first studies were done. And of course, as, as we all know, the ranges of, of the yield impacts will depend on many things, such as the methods that are used, the models that are used, the emission scenarios that are simulated and the time horizon. But from a whole load of literature, it's possible to say there's sort of reasonable consensus that for the major cereals in, in sub-Saharan Africa, yields are likely to be reduced overall by something between 10 and 30% to mid-century and beyond. But of course, there's considerable heterogeneity in, my, in response, both by crop and by region, and this just shows some indicative production changes to the 2050s from some work that we did fairly recently. This is looking at the mean of two GCMs and two emission scenarios. And we're trying to break down national production to production impacts by system. So this shows, this is maize production in Burundi. With crop modelling, we estimate that national production may increase by, by something like 14% overall for the country. Um, but of course, in MRT, these are the mixed rain-fed tropical highland systems. In those systems, the actual yield impacts may be greater. By contrast, in the mixed rain-fed humid, subhumid systems, there may actually be decreases. And the, the MRA is the mixed rain-fed arid, semi-arid systems. And similarly, similar kind of response in Tanzania for maize and in Uganda um, for phaseolus beans. So just to illustrate the point that the aggregate impacts can actually hide quite a lot of variation. There have also been some work done, but much less work done, on impacts of climate change on livestock production systems in Africa. And this is just a table from a colleague on looking at some of the direct and the indirect impacts on grazing systems and on non-grazing systems. Of course, in sub-Saharan Africa, it's the grazing systems that predominate, but things that, such as impact of extreme weather events, drought and floods, productivity losses, and water availability. And then other more subtle but equally important impacts, such as shifts in, in fodder quality and quantity, um, sorry, that's quality and quality. Quality and quantity, that of course host pathogen interactions and disease epidemics. 
And so there are many ways in which climate change will be having impacts on livestock production, and many of these have not really been very well quantified to date. And then, of course, you've got impacts on, on agricultural systems and on household livelihoods. As I say, considerable uncertainty and much still to be quantified, particularly looking at things, you know, what are the interactions likely to be between crops, livestock and other livelihood activities, given that many households in sub-Saharan Africa are engaging in, in multiple activities at the same time. There may be shifts in cropping, shifts in livestock species, perhaps in drier or areas that are drying, and species that are more, more, more resistant to, to drought. There will be livelihood transitions, household level risks will change. And then, of course, there will be interactions with other sectors, with health, water and energy, um, human health issues um, affecting labour, labour availability for the household, and, of course, access to food and to markets. In terms of thinking, that's sort of a little bit about what, what we know or sort of know or suspect may be happening. In terms of impact of five degrees on, on growing season and crop yields, we did, some, we did a bit of uh, some analysis just, just recently. And this is some um, IPCC fourth assessment models and data um, that, that's actually available on, on the web. And thanks very much to Mark New and Phil Liscano for making, for making this available. And this is data from, from 14 of the GCMs that were used for the fourth assessment, and it uses three of the, or you can get access to data for three of the emission scenarios. So we heard about these this morning, the B1, A1B, and the A2. And there's monthly data for the 2090s relating to rainfall and maximum temperature and minimum temperature. And then these have been scaled. Um, they can be scaled to different, um, to different temperatures, um, we took the midpoint of the data that were available, which was uh, the five degrees, which we thought was reasonable given that the conference is it's four degrees and beyond. We did various analyses. Um, first is uh, generating some characteristic daily weather data, or in other words, daily weather data that's characteristic of those, those future climatologies using a weather simulator, a, weather, a stochastic weather model, basically as a, as a downscaler, and from that then estimating growing days and growing seasons using daily weather data and a, and a simple water balance model, and then estimating number of failed seasons over 100 years. So the failed seasons being defined as either those places that they have no season at all, or there's fewer than 50 growing days in a season, or there's more than 30% stress days within a season once the season has actually started. First, this shows um, some of the results. This is changes in the length of the growing period from, from the 2000s, so from current conditions out to the 2090s, but with these scaled GCM data to 5 degrees. And this is the mean of the 14 GCMs available in the three SVS scenarios. Um, and again, the details, you can see the darker pink it gets, the more loss you get in, in growing period. So remember, this is an integration of rainfall changes and temperature changes because this is run through a simple water balance. And you can see, um, well, if you've seen earlier maps that, are, um, that show the similar kind of thing, um, it's just, as someone said this morning, it's, it's the same, only more so. It's more, more pronounced differences 
for much of southern Africa, you're looking at 20% or more losses in, in length of growing periods. For large parts of Central Africa, um, either not much difference, or and there are a few areas in the east um, where we're seeing or projecting to see increases in, in growing period. And this is largely because these are some of the highland areas and where temperature constraints to crop growth may be being relaxed somewhat. And actually this also echoes what I think Richard Betts showed this morning um, concerning there are areas where rainfall is projected from the suite of models that, that we have to increase, um, particularly over the East Africa area. When we map out the probability of failed seasons, I'm sorry this may not show terribly clearly, but basically the darker the blue colour, then the higher the probability of failed seasons. So the darkest blue shows areas with more than a 45% chance of failed seasons. So that's, getting, that's nearly one season in two. And you can see that currently um, there are large areas of, of southern Africa and the northern Sahel and the Horn of Africa where um, probability of failed seasons is already quite, um, quite high. But this, just become, this becomes even worse in the 2090s under a five-degree increase. And in fact... If most of um, rain-fed agriculture to, to most areas south of the, of the Zambezi River, around about sort of here, most agriculture or most rain-fed agriculture is likely to become just unviable. Then we also did a little bit of crop modelling um, just for, for this little box, this box of, of East Africa. Um, we looked at some what may happen given this, this five degree plus looking at maize, phaseolus, bean, and brachiaria decumbens, which is a, as a sort of an indicator pasture species. So this is a, we have a C4 crop, a C3 crop, and then a, a pasture um, that is um, quite widely sown um, and used for a cattle feed in, in many parts. Um, we used these, the DSAT models, and we used, in terms of the, um, the coverage, we used a 10-arc minute pixel triage based on um, what areas defined as, um, as cropland and pastureland um, in the, the Raman Kuti data set. Um, again, I won't, won't really dwell on this very much. This is, this is for maize. Um, so again, these are, these are pixels of where maize is grown in areas um, defined either as cropland or pastureland. It just grew everything where anything might grow. And again, from the scale goes from zero through to about 3.7 tonnes per, per hectare. So you can see that sort of in large parts of this, this particular area, we're talking of only of yields of two, three, four hundred um, kilos um, per hectare, and that's under current conditions. And the map on the right shows the percentage change to the 2090s. Again, it's the mean of the 18 GCMs and the three scenarios. And again, the, the, the higher the pink or the, the tone of the pink, the more, um, the, the, the higher the percentage loss projected. You also see there are some areas, um, for those of you who know some of East Africa, these are some of the highland areas where actually um, the combination of increasing temperature and increasing rainfall may actually lead to increases in, um, in, in maize yield. So these would be the highland areas where temperatures are currently somewhat limiting to, to crop production. But when you look at the overall picture, 
um, then you can see that for, for the different crops, um, these are just calculated pixel-weighted averages of, of 30 independent replications for, for this particular area. In maize, you're seeing, well, projections of yield changes minus 26% out to with a plus 5 degree climate, and beans get completely hammered. And for the pasture, there's not much difference, um, which, again, sort of is quite interesting from the point of view, you may be getting increases in length of the growing period, but the issue is that's not all agriculturally useful in terms of providing crop yield. And I should say this is very much work in, pro work in progress, um, but we really want to do this for all of sub-Saharan Africa. And once we do aggregate results, it's likely to be considerably worse. Because again, if you remember Richard Betts' graph um, in West and Southern Africa, then rainfall is projected to decrease. So that's likely to highlight um, the, the problems or highlight or amplify the negative yield changes. So what's the outlook and, and what really needs to be done? Um, first, perhaps, what will a five-degree C agriculture look like in, in sub-Saharan Africa? Well, it's fairly clear all other things being equal, which of course they never are, but potentially there's much less food for people overall. Many places will see much higher probabilities of crop failure than, than they currently see. And if these burgeoning human populations are to be fed, then there'll need to be massive increases in intensive cropping in the highlands of, of sub-Saharan Africa, um, maybe through sustainable intensification because those areas are going to be the only areas that are really going to be highly suitable for, for crop agriculture. At the same time, and as was indicated this morning, there's likely to be huge expansion of the marginal areas, in other words, areas of the continent that are becoming increasingly uncertain for cropping. And what this is bound to do is induce radical livelihood transitions. So people who are currently growing crops are no longer <laughs> able to grow crops because of the... the um, the marginal conditions may be switching to, to livestock species where that's possible, but ultimately um, in, in areas that may just become too dry, then looking at abandonment of agriculture and then perhaps adding to the, to the urbanization, so moving to the cities in search of, in search of employment. And that's just looking at just sort of the crop, crop livestock piece, and then um, as we saw a blown-up version of this graph this morning from the IPCC fourth assessment, then what about all the other impacts? And of course, if you remember well, at five degrees is what's happening right at the, the far right-hand end of the, of the diagram. So impacts, what about water, human health, crop livestock diseases, weeds and pests, and other ecosystem and coastal impacts. So all these will compound the problems of what's likely to happen to crop yields and, and pasture yields in sub-Saharan Africa. So in short, the prognosis for a plus 5 degree C agriculture in sub-Saharan Africa is basically appalling, because rain-fed agriculture in many places will simply cease to be viable. And now it's true that croppers and livestock keepers, in, particularly in Africa, but probably in, in most parts of the world, have been very highly adaptable to short and long-term variations in climate. And over centuries, they have developed um, effective ways of dealing with this variability. 
But the problem is that when we're looking at the likely changes in a five-degree world, then those sorts of changes are going to be way beyond experience. And already we're already at a case at the stage where the number of people at risk from hunger has never in fact been higher. And FAO estimate that it's likely that by next year we may be talking we may be talking about more than one billion people at risk from hunger. And this is without sort of these these sorts of levels of, of climate change. What needs to be done? Um, as I mentioned, there are many uncertainties, and we've heard about some of these things this morning, issues of tipping points and thresholds. Um, I think something very important to, um, to Africa, and what are the limits to adaptation? What is it actually possible for us to do to ameliorate some of the impacts, um, some of the systems impacts that are, that are likely to come? There's also quite a lot of evidence gaps particularly relating to when we're looking at agricultural impacts. Some of these things, such as the interactions between um, carbon fertilisation and ozone, impacts on biotic and abiotic stresses, what's likely to happen on, on, on some of these interactions with crop, rangeland and, and livestock productivity. And clearly we need comprehensive tools for the analysis of trade-offs and, and for negotiations, looking at issues associated with economic growth and food security and equity and environmental sustainability and then how do these things really trade off against each other and really what can we do well we could build on adaptability of African croppers and livestock keepers and there are many options that could help farmers adapt to sort of moderate levels what we believe to moderate levels of, of temperature increase increases but this is going to need substantial investments in, in technological research and development, investments in institution building and infrastructural development. And this, in a way, it sort of raises the question, do we really have the right development paradigm for Africa, one that builds on local indigenous skills and knowledge and culture? And Africa is not like Latin America or Asia. And I think there are many people who would question whether we really have um, whether we really have an appropriate development paradigm to help Africa deal um, with, with climate change. <clears throat>